Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. We're doing this series that we've called The Commands of Christ. He started out telling us to repent and believe. Uh, he tells us to be baptized. He tells us to make disciples. He tells us that we're to uh, love one another as he loved us. And the command that we're looking at today is the command to remember Jesus. He said, remember me. He said, do this in remembrance of, of me. So that's what we're looking at uh, today is, uh, is, is that command. Uh, look with me in Luke's gospel here for a moment, Luke chapter 22. And I, I'm going to read it, and then we're going to pretty much spend the rest of the time before we take the Lord's Supper, uh, breaking this down some and uh, seeing different things I think God desires for us to, to look at here before we partake of the Lord's Supper. So when the hour came, he reclined at the table. So Jesus was there with his uh, disciples, the apostles, with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So in other words, the cross is looming in the very near future. Uh, And he says, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. When we think about the Lord's Supper, or we think about what Jesus has done for us, we we ought to be constantly remembering Him. We ought to have on our minds and our hearts, not just when we come to church, not just when we partake of the Lord's Supper, but we ought to be constantly thinking about who He is and what He has done for us. But in terms of the Lord's Supper, there's two primary things that ought to really help set the tone and help us to remember Jesus in the way that we should uh, this morning. To begin with, he tells us to remember his body, to remember his body. He says, remember my body. There in verse 19, it says, and he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we think about this bread and the fact that he's celebrating with them uh, this Passover meal, there's some symbolism that's taking place in the bread. The Bible said there, and he took bread and when he had given thanks. Uh, The Passover meal that they are having together uh, symbolically remembered back in Egypt. Uh, The children of Israel were there in bondage. God has sent Moses in to lead them out. And uh, through the course of that, there were several uh, great miracles uh, that were taking place that God was using to show them his authority and power. And Pharaoh would kind of constantly change his mind. He would say, all right, I'm going to let you go. And then he'd harden his heart and he would not let them go. Until ultimately it led up to this particular night that they were celebrating on the Passover night. On this particular night, there's a warning given that death is going to come through Egypt. And the firstborn of all living things is going to die unless they have applied the blood of the Passover lamb 
to their doorpost. So when you read that in the Old Testament, it's always been interesting to me. The account says this. It talks about how they kill the Passover lamb, singular. Uh, while many lambs were actually slain that night to provide the Passover meal, the food for the children of Israel, still the Bible refers to it, even there in that Old Testament account, as the Passover lamb. So remember that for a moment, and I'll come back to it in, in, in just a second. So what happened? They, they killed the lamb. They had this meal. They gathered together, and they applied the blood to the doorpost. Most theologians believe the blood was applied like this. It was applied in this direction and in this direction across the doorpost, which I just gave you the symbol of a what? Of a cross. Death came through that night, and all the firstborn of all the living died unless the blood was applied to the doorpost of that house. The word for Passover is a word in the Greek that's used here talking specifically about the meal, the festival, and the special sacrifices connected with it. But the Hebrew word for Passover literally means this. It's talking about the Jewish Passover, but the root word it's built from means to hop, to leap, to skip over, to spare. By implication, it means to hesitate, to limp, or to dance. And to me, that's very interesting. The word for Passover is built from that word. Because what literally took place that night when death was passing through and the blood was seen there as being applied to that household, what happened was this. Death hopped over that home. Death skipped by that home. Death, instead of actually stopping there and affecting anyone in that household, it spared those in that home. Death hesitated. Death limped by in light of seeing the blood applied there. Death literally kindly danced by because the blood was applied. Now, what was true that night of the Passover, thank God, is still true for Christians today. Because when the blood of Jesus Christ, he's the real Passover lamb. That's why in the Old Testament, even though all those lambs were killed that night, it called it the Passover lamb. Because that lamb and all the sacrifices of the Old Testament were a type or a picture of the lamb of God that is to come. Jesus Christ himself. And when you and I have the blood of Jesus Christ applied to our lives, death has no authority and death has no power over us. Well, I'm not saying you may not physically die. There may be some here that will not physically die because I don't know when Jesus can come back. You know, you look at the world that we live in and I think it's growing closer and closer all the time. So there's this thing called the rapture whereby you may not die. But I can't guarantee you this. If you know Christ as your Savior, you will never ever experience spiritual death because in light of the blood of Jesus, death skips by you. Death hops over you. Death cannot affect you. Death spares you. Death hesitates at the blood of Jesus. Death limps away because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, and we have trusted in his shed blood. Death literally dances away from us because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Man, that's a great thought, isn't it? To, to understand that because of Jesus and his body and his blood, what we're going to symbolize today is we protect the Lord's Supper, then, then we, we have this promise that death has no power over us. Jesus takes that bread and he gives thanks. 
It pointed back, it was symbolic and pointed back to that night of the Passover. Today, we take the bread and we take the blood of the Lord's Supper, that cup of the Lord's Supper, and it points back not to the Passover, but it points back to the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as Jesus gave thanks for that bread during the Passover that represented what happened that night in Egypt, you and I today can give thanks for the body and the blood of Jesus and what he's done for us. Not just the symbolism of the bread, but I want you to also, as we think about the bread that Jesus had there, I want you to think about the suffering of his body for a moment. Because the Bible said he, he gave thanksgiving for the bread, and then he did what? He broke it. And that broken bread is also symbolic of the body of Jesus. Because Jesus went to the cross, and he suffered immensely for us. If you want to get a picture of the crucifixion of Jesus, you can read in the Psalms and see how it even tells us that his bones was visible through his flesh because of the immense suffering he went through on our behalf. Jesus suffered for us. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper today, we need to think about the suffering of his body on the cross. But we also need to have this in mind during the Lord's Supper. We need to understand that that body of his was a substitution for our bodies. That he literally died in our place. Jesus gave it to them. He, during this Passover meal, he dispenses it out to the disciples, and he says this, this is my body which is given for you. That phrase means in a very big, wide application, Jesus is saying as big as possible, this is my body, that's for you. It's not even debatable for us to say, well, does that bread really give us a picture of the body of Jesus? Jesus said, this is my body. He literally tells us it's his body. And we know that the New Testament teaches this in many places, that Jesus died for us as a substitute. He died in my place. He died in your place. And we need to have that in our mind as we partake of the Lord's Supper, the substitutionary death of Jesus. Look at a couple of instances in the New Testament that, uh, that teach this. Ephesians 5.2. We looked at this verse last week when we talked about love, the command to love. But it says, and walk in love as Christ loved us. And notice this, gave himself up for us. He gave himself up over us, for us, in our place. He gave himself for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. There's the idea of Passover again. Because of the blood of Jesus, because Jesus died for us. We are passed over when it comes to judgment. We are passed over when it comes to eternal condemnation. We are passed over when it comes to spiritual death because of what Jesus did for us. And we need to remember that as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Jesus gave us this commandment. Jesus says that we're to remember his body, but Jesus also says this. We're to remember his blood. Remember my blood. Because in verse 20 of the text that we've read, our, our scriptures for this morning, it said, and likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is, a new is the new covenant in my blood. Now, there's several things I want to say about that cup, and that's what we're going to focus on uh, here for a few minutes, different aspects of, of that cup. To begin with, it was the last cup. 
It was the last cup during the Passover meal. And I think, and you might not find this in the commentary, I didn't this week, you'll find in commentaries talking about the Passover meal, that they had four cups of wine during the course of the Passover meal. But it's the last cup that Jesus says this about this cup is the new covenant in in my blood. And I think this last cup represents, gives us an image of the last sacrifice that ever needs to take place. During a Passover meal, there would be four cups of wine. Now, I I understand. Let me stop for a minute because I understand the culture we live in. I understand that we're, you know, affiliated with Southern Baptist Church and uh, and everything like that. And I understand the general perception of it. And a lot of people will say, well, it wasn't really wine. It was juice and things like that. I understand that. I had people tell me that. I was told that in a Bible college to start with. But the more I looked at it, you know, if you're going to be honest with the scriptures, you can't say that it was not really wine. I, I don't don't think the uh, the Pharisees was judging Jesus for drinking juice. Do you? They were accusing him of being with the wine beer. So I, I, I'm just telling you, it, it was real wine. I think it was real wine. You know, one they didn't have a way of storing and keeping it like like we do in this day and time. Neither do do I think. And you know, I, I always say this at risk, even not wondering what someone will think about me. I don't think the Bible teaches that it is a sin for someone to take a drink that's alcoholic. I do think the Bible clearly teaches that drunkenness is always wrong. Clearly it teaches that drunkenness is always wrong. So anyway, they had four cups of wine during the Passover meal. Now, it probably wasn't the alcoholic content that a lot of our wine is in this modern day and time. Uh, Had it been, by the time they had four cups, they might have been a little bit loopy trying to get out of the of the upper room. So I don't think it was that, uh, not the high level of alcohol that some might be. But then have four cups. The first cup was a cup of Thanksgiving. They would start to pass over with Thanksgiving and they would drink cup number one. Then on the other side of that Thanksgiving, they would participate in, by eating some of the bread uh, dipped in bitter herbs. And, and then they would sing Psalm 113 and Psalm 114 and have the second cup of wine. Then they would move on through this Passover meal, and they would have some of that Passover lamb, the roasted lamb that had been provided along with the bread uh, that is, is there. And they would have the third cup of wine. Then at the very conclusion of the Passover meal, there is this last cup of wine. And that is the cup that Jesus holds up when he says, this cup is my blood. It's the new covenant in my blood. And as I thought about this week, you, you've, I've seen a lot of places where we tell you about the Passover, but no one that I read after this week as I was doing my, my sermon preparation made a connection between the last cup and the last sacrifice. And the more I read that and prayed over it, I, man, I just felt like the Holy Spirit saying there's a connection there. Jesus held up the last cup. Here's why he held up the last cup. He said, this cup is the New Testament of my blood because the blood of Jesus is the last sacrifice that ever, ever needed to take place. Now, if you want a picture of that just to prove it's the last sacrifice that's needed, let's prove through Hebrews just for a moment. 
Because in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 through 26, it says, For Christ is entered not into the holy places made with hands, in other words, not into the temple or the tabernacle, uh, but in, instead, those were just copies of the true things that were yet to come, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, because you see, during the sacrificial system on the Day of Atonement, and then other sacrifices being made all the time, all the time, all the time, uh, repeated sacrifices. But it said, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own, which Jesus brought his own blood. They were bringing the blood of animals, but he would have to have suffered repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he, talking about Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Do you see that? Jesus, once and for all, eternally paid the penalty of our sin on the cross. That's why it's this last cup that Jesus holds up. Let's keep reading in Hebrews uh, for a moment. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I've come to do your will. He abolishes, notice this, he abolishes the first. In other words, Jesus abolished that old sacrificial system, the first, because Jesus himself fulfills it all. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. What does it say? What does it say? What does it say? Once for all. Jesus holds up that last cup of the Passover meal, representing the last sacrifice that ever needs to take place. Let's keep, keep reading. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. No other high priest would get to sit down. No other priest as they perform their priestly duty would get to sit down. Constant work, constant sacrifices being offered. Why does Jesus sit down? Because the final ultimate sacrifice has been made for all time. Jesus' sacrifice poured his blood out, his body nailed to the cross once and for all, a single sacrifice, and he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, wait just a minute before you read by that too fast. Yes, I'm talking about Jesus having made a once and forever all time sacrifice for sin. He is the perfect sacrifice. He perfected the sacrificial system. He's the ultimate sacrifice. And while that's being taught in all these verses, look at what's said in that last sentence. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You want to know who that is? That's you if you know Christ as your Savior. That's me, knowing Christ as my Savior. That's for every believer. Because from God's perspective, the moment you receive Christ as your Savior, He looks at you as though you're sinless, as though you're perfect, because He no longer sees you. He sees the blood of His Son. He sees the very righteousness of His own Son. Thank God for that, because I don't feel perfect a lot of the time. Do you? <laughs> Because I've got my issues and you've got your issues. And I don't go around feeling like I'm, I'm perfect. But thank God from God's perspective, he looks at us because of the blood of Jesus. And it's as though we are completely, totally perfect. No guilt, no shame, no condemnation. It's all been paid for by Jesus. And he held up that last cup. 
that represented the once and forever sacrifice. Matter of fact, you've heard me talk about this a lot because I, I, I'm also a weird pastor in that I've, I've got a tattoo on my arm. Um, and it's got the little word Tetelestai on it. And I did that intentionally because I love for someone to ask me, what does that word mean that's on your arm? Because I get to tell them, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. And that little phrase, it is finished, simply means this. Jesus is saying, I have paid in full, once and for all, everything that needs to be done for your forgiveness, for your salvation. Jesus held up that last cup. And as he did so, holding up that last cup, I think that gives representation to the fact that his shed blood that he's talking about in that last cup would be the last sacrifice for sin that would ever need to take place. And somebody ought to say hallelujah for that. It's not just a last cup, it's also a poured cup. And that means it's an intentional sacrifice. It is said, this cup that is poured out. Jesus is talking to his disciples. This cup that is, that is poured out. He literally poured it forth. And in other words, the blood of Jesus being shed on the cross wasn't accidental. There, there's an old hymn, and I understood the word spilt, rhymed in that old hymn and everything, but I've never really liked it because you can spill something by accident. You ever knocked over a cup of milk or something, don't cry over spilled milk or whatever, whatever it is you might have been drinking. You can, you can spill a cup by accident. Jesus did not spill his blood by accident. It was intentional on purpose. On purpose, he poured it out for us on our behalf. And we need to think about that as we partake of the Lord's Supper, that his sacrifice on the cross is intentional, poured out on purpose for us. It's also an offered cup. And the fact that it's an offered cup, Jesus offers it to them. He pours it out and he says, this is for you. I think that represents that there's an available sacrifice being made. He says, this is for you. This cup that I'm pouring out, it's, it's for you. It's above you. It's for sake of you. It's instead of you. It's regarding you. It's superior more than anything you could possibly do to pay for your sins itself. It's really what that word means. Jesus poured his blood out over us, and he did so intentionally, and he makes an available sacrifice for sin that we need to believe in. Let me give you the image of that. Jesus, and we've got these little cups today, and you see, sometimes we, we do it traditional, and we pass trays and everything like that, uh, just to kind of get you ready for it in a few minutes. There's a little thin cellophane covering that, that covers the bread, and then there's a full covering uh, that, that covers the, the juice. And the way we're going to do it, you'll understand in a moment, it needed to be portable this morning. You'll understand what I'm talking about in a moment. But Jesus poured out the, the cup, and he poured it out, and he, he said, this is for you, and he made it available for them on the table. But even though Jesus poured it out and made it available for them on the table, what did they have to do? They had to receive it. And that's the same thing that's true of salvation. Jesus has paid the ultimate price once and for all for our sins on the cross. It's an available sacrifice. He offers it to us, but we still have to take it. We have to receive it by faith. Jesus was talking about something really similar one time. And at this point in the ministry of Jesus, he had huge crowds following him. And then Jesus started to say some stuff that they thought, well, I don't know if we like that or not. And they started to go away from him. In, in John 
chapter 6, Jesus said, I'm the living bread. That body we're talking about again that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. We have some of the Jews standing there, we're listening to that, and they started kind of debating and arguing, didn't like the way that sounded uh, among themselves. Said so the Jews in dispute among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus, being God in the flesh, understood and knew what they were saying, even without hearing it. He might have overheard some of it, but there are clearly times in the New Testament he didn't hear nothing, and yet he knew what was being said, amen? Because he's God in the flesh. So Jesus knows what's going on in their heart. So instead of Jesus being politically correct and making it a little bit easier message for them, Jesus goes on and he said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, put yourself in the place of that crowd for a moment. Honestly, if you're out somewhere in public, hear someone stand up preaching and speaking, and all of a sudden they start saying, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'd probably start thinking, that person's a little bit crazy. I think we're going to go into the house. And we know that Jesus is literally talking about eating his flesh and his blood. The Bible clearly teaches against cannibalism and drinking blood and things like that. He's symbolically talking about his body being the bread from heaven. He's symbolically talking about his blood. And he makes it available. And he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Let's keep reading. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father... So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, talking about that manna in the wilderness. And he says, whoever feeds on this bread, talking about his divine body, his sacrifice on the cross, his blood that would be shed, will live forever. So it's an available sacrifice. It's an offered cup that you have to receive. One last thing about this cup. It's a fresh cup. A fresh cup. Because Jesus talks about a new covenant. He said, this cup is my blood. This is the, the new covenant in my blood. We saw this word new last week when Jesus said, a new command I give you, that you love one another as I've loved you. It doesn't mean it was something that had never existed. It means it was a new, fresh perspective on love. Now Jesus gives us a new, fresh perspective on the covenant between God and sinful man. And he says this is the new covenant in terms of freshness. This is the new disposition. This is the new contract between man and God. This is the the new testament. This is really what God's will is. It, It is the new covenant in my blood. And that word in is the same word we saw last week in the Greek, and it denotes a fixed position. In other words, there's a new covenant now that stands forever in a fixed position, which is the blood of Jesus. That will never, ever, ever change. The old covenant is fully fulfilled, completely fulfilled by Jesus coming, living a sinless life, dying on the cross in our place for our sins. 
And you have God in the flesh shedding God's blood as the ultimate perfect sacrifice to pay for man's sin. The new covenant is now perfected. The new covenant has a fresh understanding. The way we have a relationship with holy God isn't by animals being killed. The way we have a relationship with God is that God loved us so much he became flesh and he shed his blood, God's blood on the cross so that through faith in him we can be in a covenant relationship with God forever that lasts forever. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 and 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, see a new way happen. The shedding of the blood of animals never fully cleaned the conscience of people who would bring those animals to be sacrificed. Think about you yourself trying to approach God apart from Jesus. When we understand that God is holy, God is perfect, and we understand that we're not, none of us can really approach God just based upon who we are and how we are apart from Jesus and feel like we can do so without our consciences really, really bothering us because we know that he's perfect and we're not. But through this new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain that is through his flesh, we have a great priest over the house of God. Let us draw near. In other words, because of Jesus and what he's done for us and our faith in him. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Because of what Jesus has done, you and I can approach holy God with a clean conscience. Because of this fresh cup. Later on, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians about how to partake of the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to read that. I'm going to say a couple of things from it. And then we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. And I hope as you do so, you'll be remembering the body of Jesus and remembering the, the blood of Jesus. For I received... From the Lord, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup. Next one. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So that's what we're getting ready to do. We're getting ready to proclaim publicly forth the death of Jesus, his body and his blood, as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Whoever therefore eats the bread, he also gives us a warning. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Now, since we're getting ready to partake of the Lord's Supper, I want you to please understand what it means to partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Some of you, maybe many of you, I'm getting old, I forget how many times I tell stories, but uh, have heard me tell this before. Very first 
full-time pastorate I was at was this kind of a small country church over in Wilkes County. And the first time we were having communion, they were doing it the normal, standard, traditional way of, of going through and, and passing the, the bread and passing the, the cup and trays. But as I was sitting there at the front watching them pass it, I, I noticed something strange. And their rows were probably about as wide as our middle section here. And probably would seat maybe 170, 200 people at the most. And I noticed the deacons were leaning way, way over. And to, to serve people in the middle of the seats, and those people were kind of like this, and, and they wouldn't take the tray and pass it down. And, and I thought to myself, what is up with that? I mean, why are they doing that? I mean, one, they're leaning way over. I mean, you can be rubbing, right? I mean, some of the deacons might have been putting their armpits in people's faces. And I thought, why would they do that? Well, I come to find out that they had been taught that only an ordained person was worthy to be the one that held on to the tray and, you know, pass it through so no one else would touch it and the ordained people go on either side and, and pass it all the way down because they felt unworthy to do so. So I thought, all right, I can fix that now. Maybe, you know, I can tell you the, the truth of the matter in it. And I said, well, by the way, if you thought about this, those deacons that are passing around, they're unworthy too. <laughs> and I'm unworthy also. Because when it says we're taking it in a, in a worthy manner, it, it doesn't mean that any of us are worthy. Who's worthy of the body and the blood of Jesus? I'm not, are you? It tells us what it means. It tells us we're to discern the Lord's body. That's the way you partake of it in a worthy way. You kick out worries and concerns. If you've got sin, you need to repent of or whatever might be there. You, you, you need to put all that aside and you need to focus as a believer completely upon the body of Jesus that was nailed to a cross, completely upon the blood of Jesus. That's what it means to partake of in a worthy manner. All of us, even as believers, are unworthy, but we all of us, as believers, can partake of it in a worthy manner if we will. If we'll have the right mindset as we partake of the Lord's Supper. So let me give you some instruction. It's for believers only. Now let me stop and qualify that just for a moment. Early on in the life of our church, we would only partake of the, the Lord's Supper, maybe in our small groups or in the evening because uh, another church we kind of modeled as we were starting out uh, after. And uh, back then we had more worries about being seeker-friendly. We still want to be friendly to seekers, but we, but we, we, have to, we have to be honest, too. A lot of seeker-friendly churches will not partake of the Lord's Supper except during the night or in small groups because that way it's less likely than it is on Sunday morning that unbelievers are present. They didn't want to make the unbelievers feel uncomfortable. I understand that mindset, but I would rather make an unbeliever uncomfortable now than that unbeliever stand at the judgment seat of Christ lost for all eternity. So us partaking of the Lord's Supper this morning, if you're not a believer, is not to make you feel bad. But at the same time, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you need to understand something. You will be left out of much more than just being in a worship service and not partaking of the Lord's Supper. You will be left out of forgiveness in heaven for all eternity. So that's why I want to encourage you during the time we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper, it's also going to be an open invitation to everyone that's here. If you don't know Christ, when we start to serve the 
Lord's Supper in just a moment. Matter of fact, you're going to serve it, and I'll explain that in a minute too. But if you don't feel like you need to take it, then just stay seated. Don't stand up. But if during the time that we're partaking the Lord's Supper, you feel that God's calling you to trust in Jesus as your Savior, I'll be here at the front. And guess what? All of that can change. You can say yes to Jesus. You can admit you're a sinner. You can repent and believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. You can pray and trust Him as Savior, and you can get up and take the Lord's Supper. That's not the motive for doing it. The motive is your forgiveness and everlasting life. Amen. That's the motive. So all during the invitation time, it's going to be open for you to partake of it. Our method for partaking of it today, because I didn't say a lot about this earlier, but in Luke 22, verse 14 through 17, it says, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table with his apostles with him, and he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I'll not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. Now, I'll, I'll say more about that in a second, but as you partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, I want to encourage you to do some things. I want you to perceive the presence of Jesus. The disciples were there sitting around a table. He was present. Can I tell you something? He's present today. And as you partake of the Lord's Supper, you need to perceive the presence of Jesus. You need to remember he suffered for you. He's that bread that was broken. You need to realize the grand significance of the sacrifice of Jesus because what I read a moment ago seems to me that Jesus removed the Passover from the calendar of God forever because he has fulfilled it. He is the Passover. He's the fulfillment of it. And he said, I'm not going to partake of this until one day in the kingdom when everything's fulfilled. When the net is crammed full, when everything's done, when everything's finished, one day in the kingdom, then we'll have a new festival, a new table to sit at. Luke chapter 22, verse 30, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and set on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Luke 13, verse 29 and people will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. Matthew eight eleven and 12, I tell you that many will come from the east and west and recline at the table of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. There's a future feast on the way, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We don't need to partake of the Passover anymore. Jesus is saying, it's not on God's economy now. It's not on God's calendar because I am the Passover and we'll celebrate it one day in heaven. So understand the significance of the sacrifice of Jesus as you partake of it. And what I want us to do is we serve each other this morning. I'm going to have a prayer in just a moment. But before I do, I want to explain to you how we're going to participate. He told the disciples to divide it among themselves. This morning, as we start to partake the Lord's Supper, I'm going to serve one person, and that one person will serve me. And then that person will go serve someone, and I'll go serve someone. And we will keep serving. And as you're served, you keep serving. And what I want us to do is see a snowball effect happen. 
Because they divided it among themselves at the table. But as we share with each other today, I think we can honestly also get a picture of this. We can get a picture of how effective the church would be if every one of us were to be serving others and sharing the gospel with others. Because it will start out with just a few of us serving, and before you know it, that person has served someone, who in turn serves someone, who in turn serves someone, who in turn continues to serve others, and all of a sudden we're going to see everyone's been served. How much more effective would we be as a church if all of us would do our part to share and to serve with others? So to be sure you understand, if you want to participate in the Lord's Supper, in a moment I'm going to invite you to stand. You remain standing until somebody serves you. As soon as somebody serves you, you come and you start taking cups to people who have not been served. They'll be standing still. If someone's seated, that means they didn't want to be served. But if someone is standing still, they're not walking around serving, that means that person hasn't been served yet. So we're going to look around and find everybody until they're served. People didn't listen well to the first service. You can tell them that I said that. Because they started coming up and they would serve, you know, someone, they go back and sit down. I want you to go back and sit down. We don't get to serve one person and sit down and think our job's over in serving Christ. You serve someone, come back and get another one. You serve, that person is now serving. You understand the picture? And you remain standing still until you're served. And then once you're served, you try to come serve someone. You may have to go to different tables. I don't know if one table will run out quicker. We should have enough for everyone. But the image is, the image is what Jesus told them. Take this, divide it among yourselves. Today, we're going to take the body of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and divide it among ourselves. But we have much more than that to divide among ourselves. We have the gospel and serving others to divide among ourselves. No, you know, partake as you serve. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. I was going to come back to that. You know, don't, uh, don't wait and partake together. When someone serves you, you partake of it, then you come get a cup. Then. And as you're partaking of it, you do this. And we're going to do this reverently in awareness that this represents the body and the blood of Jesus. Not any commotion. We're going to respectfully go around and serve each other. And as you partake of it, there in your seat, there where you stand, you thank God for the body of Jesus. You thank God for the blood of Jesus. And then you come serve someone else. Everyone understand? Let's pray. Father, thank you for so loving us that you sent your son. Lord, help us right now to celebrate what you did for us on the cross. To think about your body and your blood. You, during that Passover meal, you, you put it on the table and you told the, you told the disciples to divide it among themselves. Help us right now in a very special, holy way to divide this among ourselves. Help us to remember what you've done for us. Help us to understand it was the last cup, the last sacrifice that ever needed to take place. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you desire to partake of it, please stand. Once again, the invitation is open during this whole time. If you feel like you don't know Christ as your Savior and you feel God speaking to your heart and you need to come, we invite you to come.
Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.